My name is William Michael, headmaster of the Classical Liberal Arts Academy, and today is Thursday, August 19th. My family's away for a few days of vacation down the shore in North Carolina, and I figured I could make a walk talk while I'm away, and today my walk is fortunately along the coastline, so hopefully the background noise isn't too loud, but I'd like to take up a question that I don't get to talk about much because on a day-to-day basis, the majority of families that we deal with in homeschool conversations are, are families that are usually running on a, a very tight budget maybe a one-income family that is sacrificing a great deal to have mom stay home and teach the children. There's not a lot of money available to do many things and they're usually trying to find how they can accomplish the most at the lowest possible cost and that's something that in the Classical Liberal Arts Academy we've always been very careful to provide for because in God's providence, when our first children were born, when I chose to go into classical studies, my wife and I had very little money and we learned how to enjoy a high quality of life for relatively little expense. And we've always respected Catholic families who seek to do the same thing difference for us in God's providence has been that um, after I got into classical studies, even though I was content to work with little hope of material reward and my wife and I were prepared to live very simple lives for the sake of our classical uh, studies and teaching. God had other things in mind and we ended up being able to start the Classical Liberal Arts Academy and and generate a lot more revenue even while keeping costs low for families than we ever would have expected to make as teachers or even school administrators and so we've had the experience both of those who have little in Catholic family life and we've had the experience of those who have an abundance of resources in Catholic family life and the two lives are very different. For one, the question is how can we get what we need with what we have when what we have is very limited. The other question is, with all of this abundance that we have, what should we get? What should we seek? How can we make use of the wealth that God has given us and accomplish the best things possible? Because when God gives us an abundance, 
He doesn't do so so we can just blow it on our pleasures. When He gives us an abundance, He does so with responsibility. We have responsibility to provide some good for the church, we just provide it in a different way. For example, if we go back to medieval times, the wealthy were expected to maintain and train horses and men for war. They were expected to fund um, the arms for their own people, and they were expected to fight. There were three classes of society. There were the wealthy, who were responsible for defense. There were the religious, who were responsible for worship and prayer. And there were the peasants, who were responsible for the daily work. The wealthy, as I said, were responsible to protect the people. And so when we look back in the Middle Ages and we see the, the culture of, of the knights or the noblemen, it's true that they had great wealth, but that wealth wasn't for their own self-indulgence. That wealth was for the common good. And the same thing is true today. When God blesses us with an abundance, we need to ask the question, how can we serve God in the best way possible with the abundance that he's provided us with. Now if we look through history, even if we look to these medieval noble families that were responsible for government and defense, we find that they had a very simple understanding of what education was needed by their children. The education that their children needed was not a workplace education, it was not career training. They weren't hungry and desperate for income and trying to find jobs. They really had no concern for money. And many of us raising children with sufficient resources or with an abundance of resources, our children are under no great pressure to find jobs, and even if they do seek jobs, I don't know about yours, but my children make more at age 18 than I made as a college graduate, because their background and culture and connections has made it very easy for them to find work and make money whenever they need to. My children also chose to go into the military and the military benefits are just incredible. My children's tuition is paid. They earn a monthly salary for their military service. They're in training to become officers in the military. And the benefits just keep multiplying and multiplying. And I haven't had to pay a penny for any of these things. And that's the funny thing, the funny way things work is that those who have an abundance end up often spending less. And those who struggle to get by end up spending more. And that's why there's the saying that the rich 
tend to get richer and the poor tend to get poorer. So there's a lot that could be talked about there, but all of that's not in our control. The things that are in our control and, and that are really our present responsibility and all that I want to talk about in this talk is if resources are abundant or if resources are not a concern, what should we provide for our children's education? And as I said, throughout, throughout history, throughout Catholic history, the answer to that question was very simple. Children who are born into wealthy families, who have connections and resources, are not engaged in the kind of desperate, job-oriented training that the poorer students are concerned with. They're concerned with, hopefully, with nobler things, with loftier, more honorable pursuits than how to make money. And that's why, throughout history, the wealthy educated their children in the classical liberal arts. They didn't send them to expensive private schools that cost tens of thousands of dollars and really provided little more than the public school provides. They didn't simply try to send their children to a school where the society was a little more exclusive, but still just as ignorant and worldly-minded. And that's what many of the expensive private schools are today. Many of them have retained some of the external decorations of their good old days, but they've abandoned all of the good things that those schools did, that all of the things that those schools were built on, all the things on which the tradition of those schools are based, those things have been abandoned, and now all that remains is an expensive public school education that aims at <clears throat> that aims at material ends like college admission or high SAT scores or future jobs. And those really aren't the goals of Christian education, especially among students who live in families that have an abundance of resources. So the question is, if resources are not a concern, if a family has wealth and really isn't worried about what the children are going to do for a living because they, they know it's not going to be a big deal. What should they do? How should they educate their children? What should they focus on? And so on. The specific answers to those questions are going to be dependent on the circumstances of the families, namely whether both parents are working. You may have a family where Mom and dad are both professionals. Let's say they're both physicians and both have their own practice or, or 
practice medicine together. That's one option. Or they just could have different professions, different careers that they're engaged with. And yet their schedule permits them to homeschool the children. There may be one set of circumstances, which is somewhat common, probably more common than many expect, especially today as more and more business can be managed from home. Or there's the other circumstance where normally the father is engaged in a professional career and the mother is at home free to care for the children and yet at the same time she has responsibilities as a wife helping her husband to to manage the house run errands to help her husband with his work and so on and so we've got a couple different circumstances and then there's a million alternatives or variations to these circumstances and the practical details will depend on those those circumstances. But in general, the first question that we'd like to answer is, what should the children study? What should the children study? And the wrong answer to that question, the wrong answer is the public school curriculum. Public school curriculum is for poor children. Let's just make that clear. Public school curriculum is for children whose education needs to be provided by the state. state State-funded education. It's concerned with the most fundamental requirements for future employment and political participation. It's not an education for children born into families with resources. And therefore, to hear children in wealthy families talking about what grade they're in, and to look at their studies and find that the education they're getting, despite having an abundance of resources, is hardly different at all from the education that our states are providing at no cost to poor children, really can't be explained. Parents are just going through the motions, as it were, without any real plan for their children's education. There's an abundance of money, and so the parents think that maybe they should just pay for more expensive public education programs. But that's just a rip-off and a counterfeit to what the parents should actually be doing. So going back into history, we can look and see, what did the wealthy do? What did the wealthy Catholic families do when it was time to educate the children? And the answer from all of Catholic history is they provided them with classical liberal arts education. They hired tutors and those tutors trained well they hired tutors who were classically educated good reliable Catholics who were excellent students and teachers 
And they hired those tutors to train their children in the classical liberal arts. And there's a reason why they did that. The reason why they trained their children in the classical liberal arts was because it's most likely true that their children will grow up to take positions of responsibility and leadership in society. And more important than anything, for leaders, whether that's political leaders, business leaders, professional leaders, community leaders, church leaders, what's more important than any practical training is moral instruction, philosophical instruction. Leadership skills ultimately boil down to the ability to lead others through challenging circumstances by modeling virtuous behavior and being able to overcome adversity and persevere until goals are achieved and to, to pull a body of people along with you as you do so. That's what leadership is and it takes a philosopher to provide that kind of leadership. And that's why if we look, even in the business world today, if we look at the leaders, the real movers and shakers, if we look at Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, we'll find that these men don't spend all of their time talking about the details of their businesses, but they spend a lot of time talking about philosophical issues, life issues, moral issues, social issues, and so on. For example, Jeff Bezos explains that at this point in his career, as the CEO of Amazon, his daily work consists of making one or two important decisions every day. That's really what Amazon relies on him to do as the leader of the company. He's not engaged with the day-to-day -day tasks. He's not concerned about the sales or the details of their online store policies or customer service. He's got questions to answer that are affecting business two and three years into the future. He's making predictions about where things are going, what's going to happen. He's trying to learn philosophical principles that are timeless, that allow him to make reliable decisions. And he becomes more and more of a philosopher and less and less of a man concerned with the daily details of business. He's dealing with issues at the macro level and delegating issues to others at the micro level. Where does that macro level education come from? For Jeff Bezos, it's come from his own experience. He's had to seek it out as Amazon just sort of happened because he never could have expected Amazon to become 
what it has become. He's learned these things by his own experience. And when these men talk, these men like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, when they talk, they constantly are complaining that modern education is useless in terms of preparation for business. It's fine in providing lots of workers for these massive corporate machines that they build, but the work that they actually have to do in managing these businesses is not served in any way by the modern education, despite all the talk, even of the private schools. These private schools are not preparing children to be leaders of modern businesses or even the modern church, which faces so many unique moral and philosophical challenges. And modern Catholics, even modern Catholic schools, they have no answers for any of these issues. And though the leaders in all of these different fields are telling us these things, we simply don't listen. We just keep pushing kids into the same system as if paying more for it or getting more of it is going to make a difference. But it's not. What the children need is something different. What they need is a classical liberal arts education. Education for free people. Education for people who are not working to make money, who are working to pursue and address more noble issues in society. This is why there's also a vocations crisis in the church. Because the education that's being provided in the modern schools is simply not going to produce religious vocations. Because the whole idea of a religious life, the purpose of it, the quality of it, is not even on the radar for modern students can't even be comprehended by modern students. When they come to age 18, everything that they've done has been oriented around a few shallow temporal concerns. And suddenly they're asked if they might be interested in a religious vocation. And the truth is, they can't even understand what a religious vocation is. They haven't been educated for that kind of thinking. They haven't been educated for that kind of life. And you're simply talking to them in a language they don't understand. It might as well be some alien language. Everything that they've done from kindergarten through the dawn of their adulthood has been oriented around getting a job, making a living, fitting in, being like others, and so on. They haven't been raised, they haven't been taught to think like leaders, to be the ones who move first, to be the ones who enter into 
adverse circumstances because that's where work needs to be done. They haven't been taught to think like that. They've been taught to stand with their peers, even kids of the same age, and only compete against kids who are the same age as they are, or in the same weight class as they are, in the same level as they are, and so on. And that has nothing to do with real life. And so the education simply doesn't train them to think and act like leaders. And this is why throughout history, when there were no vocations crises, when education had to raise knights, noblemen, courtiers, and so on, that education that was pursued by the wealthy was a classical liberal arts education. So why is it? Why is it that the classical liberal arts are considered the appropriate education for the wealthy? Well, let's take a minute to look at the liberal arts and understand what they are and what they offer. As I said before, the principal responsibility of a leader is to look into the future, be able to forecast what challenges are coming, and find solutions for them, even if those solutions have never been seen before. Now, sometimes a wise leader can find solutions in history by looking back. Many generals have done this, and this is one of the reasons why generals have always studied the history of great battles, looking for strategies and so on. We see this also in modern sports, where coaches watch film of other teams to try and identify trends or habits that their opponents can be seen using against previous opponents to try and predict what will come when they face one another. It's possible sometimes to find solutions in history, but sometimes, especially when circumstances are new, new solutions may need to be discovered. And modern students simply aren't educated to think like problem solvers or leaders. So in the classical liberal arts, we study the art of grammar. And the art of grammar teaches us the right and careful use of language. Because while the common people may speak sloppily and carelessly, and you'll see this all the time, if you ask a question of a vulgar crowd, You'll see that they take no time to define terms. They make no effort to avoid the error of equivocation where the meanings of words change from one conversation to another. This is how the ignorant communicate. And the problems in life are complex. There's a saying, the devil is in the details. And that's always true in problem solving. 
solutions are not simple. Like we see common people sitting around watching the news saying how they can fix this international problem or why the president's stupid for not doing this or the military should do that. They have no knowledge of the details of the problems. But that doesn't stop them from imagining that they have solutions as if everything is simple enough to be understood by them. They know none of the complexities of the real issues and they make no effort to even be able to think in terms of those complexities. They live in a world of shallow thoughts. To use an illustration I, I refer to quite a bit, they live in a world where they have eight, eight colors in their crayon box and they imagine that the whole world can be understood in just eight colors not understanding that there is an infinite number of colors that can be produced and that things are more complicated than that. And that's the problem with the common people. They are content with their bread and circuses, they're content with their gossip news, content with ignorant conversation and spiraling circular arguments, self-contradictions and so on. They can't do the kind of thinking can't communicate, can't read, can't write in a way that leaders need to be able to do. So the art of grammar, when taught as the true art of grammar, leads students to mastery in language so that they can understand the subtleties of language, the senses of words, construction of sentences, the translation and interpretation of languages, and so on. They can understand the nuances of different dialects and usages. They can learn to be careful to avoid the problems we see in modern society where people say things in public and then offend large portions of society and have to go around apologizing, saying, well, I didn't mean this and I didn't mean that. That clumsy, careless, unskilled communication is a result of poor education. And education in the classical art of grammar seeks to equip students to avoid those gaffes and blunders. The second of the classical liberal arts is the art of reasoning. And in the art of reasoning, students learn doctrine of the syllogism, most importantly, they learn what reasoning actually is, which, as simple as that seems, can't be explained by 90% of the people or more that you talk to on a daily basis. No one even studies the art of reasoning, and yet everyone walks around talking about how we need to be logical, how we need to be critical thinkers, and yet there's no formal study of what reasoning even is. And that's just the typical, vulgar, counterfeit education. All appearances, but no reality. In order for us to be able to reason effectively, we have to study 
doctrine of reasoning. We do this in the classical liberal arts in the study of Aristotle's Organon, where the entire science of reasoning is taught systematically and learned. That's not taught in any modern school, even schools that claim to be private or Catholic or classical. It's taught only in the classical liberal arts academy. The third of the classical liberal arts is the art of rhetoric. And in rhetoric, students learn to communicate with different groups of people by learning about those people, learning how those people think, what moves those people, and what modes of expression will have the best chance of moving them because it's assumed that the people studying rhetoric are going to be leaders who are responsible for moving moving people to do good, which adds even more challenges, since there are many ways to lead people to do evil. To get things right, you have to be exact. And there aren't many ways to lead people to do what's right. And this is the goal of the art of rhetoric. And then we get into the mathematical arts, the classical mathematical arts, which are not like the modern mathematical sciences. The classical mathematical arts are concerned with philosophical questions, questions about the nature of ideas, the nature of the world, and so on. In classical mathematics, we want to understand the nature of numbers, the nature of figures, because there are qualities in these different objects that have metaphorical significance. And I'm not going to get into this too much, but there's wisdom to be gleaned from the study of, of quantities, which is what classical mathematics is concerned with. And when we read philosophy, when we read the writings of wise men like Aristotle and Plato, we'll find that they reason from qualities of mathematical ideas to draw conclusions in all other areas. And while this is too much to get into in this talk, it's safe to say that what leaders are seeking through mathematical studies is not the same as what students are seeking through modern mathematics courses. We're not looking to simply improve our SAT score or complete the admission requirements for a high school diploma or for college admission. We're concerned about understanding truths about the world as God created it that give us wisdom and reveal to us principles that we can use in many different areas of life. These mathematical arts, these classical mathematical arts, include arithmetic, the study of number itself, geometry, the study of figures, music, the study of the relationship between the sounds that we hear, the harmonies that we appreciate, and the patterns and 
relationships that our souls can identify and recognize, reveal something about the nature of our souls, who we are, what we are. And lastly, astronomy, which is the study of the celestial bodies, or bodies in motion, the order of the heavens. And again, we study these things for their own sake on one level, to understand the heavens themselves, but we also study them for other benefits. We study them for spiritual insights they give us. We also study them for metaphorical applications or analogies that allow us to use these principles to understand other issues in life. Because again, that's what's necessary for solving problems. And these are the seven classical liberal arts. This is the education that the wealthy all throughout history gave to their children. If a child's educated in the classical liberal arts, he's not going to need to worry about modern education. Standards of modern education are very low. The goals of modern education are easily attained. And a student who's well-educated can easily, by his own efforts, surpass and master all of the modern requirements. So that's why that shouldn't be a concern for the parents of well-educated children. They should not be concerned with modern requirements, but only with providing their children with true classical liberal arts education. Now, once they get into and through classical liberal arts studies, they're going to be able to get started in true philosophical studies, not childish studies of literature, but real philosophical studies, systematic, scientific, philosophical studies, the kind of studies that can actually change their lives and separate them from the vulgar. These studies focus on four different areas, or really three different areas. The first is rational philosophy, which is the same as the study of reasoning, which they take care of in the seven liberal arts. But there's rational philosophy, the study and understanding of our own thoughts and minds and anything we learn of ourselves is important for leadership because it's also true of others. If we're dealing with human beings, then whatever is true, humanly speaking, of ourselves is also true of all those whom we have to lead. The second division of philosophy is moral philosophy, where we learn to order our own wills. We learn the end of our lives, what we should desire and seek in this life, and its balance and steadfastness of this moral excellence that gives us the character necessary to be true leaders. And that's learned through the study and exercise of moral philosophy. And 
then thirdly, the study of natural philosophy, where we seek to understand the order established by God in the natural world. And that includes things both material, through the study of classical physics, and immaterial, through the study of classical metaphysics. Those are the divisions of philosophy, and any student who's being trained to be a thought leader needs to be at least introduced into the philosophical sciences. Otherwise, he remains just a common mind and unfit for any true leadership. And then lastly, the study of Catholic theology. The reason why the study of theology is so important is because any person who's going to pursue some extraordinary labors or undertake some extraordinary challenges in this life is going to have to seek reward and consolation in the life to come. And therefore, true religion is essential for any great leadership. And that's even why we'll see, to refer back to leaders in modern society, we'll see them, the more and more successful they become, the larger and larger their businesses become, the more and more philosophical they become, the more and more theological they become. They begin dabbling in Buddhism. They begin talking about world religions. They begin using Christianity for illustrations and so on because as their leadership expands and their influence grows, they become more and more like image bearers of God and they understand more and more of the things of God and theology becomes more and more relevant to them. And so the study of true theology saves our children from future wrestling and wrangling with false religions vague attempts to try to understand spiritual things which we commonly see among leaders in society. And this education, this education of the classical liberal arts, classical philosophy, and Catholic theology is the education that wealthy families, influential families, sought to give their children all throughout history. And this is the reason why they did so. Now, one of the greatest objections to this education that parents will make is that they'll think they have to choose either a classical education or a modern education. They will feel like they're taking a great risk to give their children a classical education focused entirely on classical studies. It just seems like that's too risky. Like the modern world won't understand what they're doing, won't appreciate what they're doing, and the children will end up being penalized because they have a classical education. But this is completely false, completely ungrounded fear. And we can easily disprove this in a couple of 
simple ways. First of all, if you go to the admissions website for any selective college, and I mean the most elite and selective colleges in the world, you'll find that they're actually begging students to not settle for the modern curriculum, but to reach higher. They're telling students to pursue their own religious interests, to pursue their own cultural interests. They're promoting diversity. They're not looking for cookie-cutter students. They're not trying to raise an army of lookalikes. They're asking students to pursue the most challenging courses of studies available to them. They're telling students that there is no one curriculum to be pursued for college admission. They're telling students that students should be concentrated on the work they'd like to do in life and not on college admission. And yet, despite all these pleas and encouragements, the colleges find themselves dealing with the same students, with the same requirements, the same achievements, the same transcripts. Because no one listens to what the colleges are actually saying. Meanwhile, most parents are just trying to make their children look like everyone else. And they're afraid, they're afraid to break the mold or be different, even though the greatest business leaders, spiritual leaders, college admission boards, and so on, are telling them that they should do so. They should seek the most challenging studies possible and not settle for the modern cookie-cutter public school curriculum. Parents simply won't listen, and they get what they deserve, ordinary results. The second way to prove that this mentality of modern parents is wrong is to listen to the people actually leading the different sectors of our society. Listen to the business leaders. Listen to the Elon Musks and Jeff Bezos is telling everyone, telling everyone, modern education is not going to prepare you for success or leadership in the modern market simply not going to prepare you. And when these business leaders tell parents that and tell students that, the students and parents simply ignore them, as if the leaders who are actually standing on the front lines of modern business and politics and religion don't know what they're talking about. But only the high school guidance counselor really knows how important that Algebra 2 class is. And that's where modern parents get their advice from. Not from leaders, but from employees at schools. Well, no one aspires to imitate in life, and yet they're letting those people tell them what they should study, how they should study, when they should study it, and so on. And again, the parents get what they deserve. They get children who have followed the advice of guidance counselors rather than world leaders. 
Now, these world leaders who recommend changes and who criticize the modern education, one thing they don't have is a solution. They know that the modern system doesn't work. They know that the modern curriculum has nothing to do with leadership in the real world. And yet they don't have a positive solution. And this is because they imagine that the solution must be something new. Because they act as if the education that exists, the education that's common today, they act as if that's been around forever and is now obsolete. But the truth is that the education that exists today is actually an experiment that has interrupted the historic method of educating children, which was in place for thousands and thousands of years, which educated the saints and kings and explorers, the famous mathematicians, the founders of sciences, the founders of nations and leaders of armies and the most famous institutions in world history. Those leaders were trained up by the classical liberal arts. That system of education was abandoned by a combination of events, the Protestant Reformation, the Renaissance, the Scientific Revolution. They believed that they were going to introduce a new world order that would be more successful. But what they did, where they erred, was that they they took the ancient system for granted and didn't realize how dependent their success was on that ancient system. And once they moved away from it, the foundation was taken away and everything has collapsed ever since. And so the modern leaders know that there's a problem, but they don't know the solution. No one will know the solution until students are once again given the opportunity to study the classical liberal arts. It'll take time. It'll happen one by one. Students who make their way up through the classical liberal arts and understand their use will begin to apply them in adult life. And they'll begin to enter into leadership positions with a mind that no one else has or with a mind that resembles in some ways the minds of other leaders, even though those leaders have only come to those conclusions by accident, as it were, whereas these students will know the means by which they've come to those conclusions. And that's when the change will begin to be seen in future generations not when something new develops, but when we simply return, we simply return to the right road. So if you were to ask me as a, as a parent for whom money is really not a concern, and I don't mean that in a stupid way, obviously we all have to be responsible, but you know what I mean, where when you look for a 
school or curriculum or a tutor, the issue is not how much does it cost. The issue is which one of these things is going to actually work and help us make our children successful. And the price tag is not the primary concern. And to be honest, you'd be willing to pay any price for a program that would actually deliver the results that you desire and give your children the education that you want for them. If you're that kind of a parent, you want to know how should the wealthy educate their children if money is not a concern? The answer is the classical arts. Now, I'm going to warn you in advance that as soon as I say that, if you were to turn around and start looking around for tutors to work with your children or programs, or you were just to start looking for classical studies, you're going to find tons of junk. You're going to find pretenders who don't understand the things that I'm explaining, don't live the way that I'm talking about living, don't understand the things that you're concerned with, but are just pretending. They're trying to look like wealthy people. They're trying to act like people with high tastes. But it's just a charade. They don't have the education that they intend or claim that they're going to offer to your children. They don't actually understand the culture. They don't understand the challenges of your life. They simply want to have an appearance of being wealthy tutor, but it's pretending, they're con men, and you'll learn that the hard way, I can warn you that in advance, but if you're looking for a tutor who you can arrange to work with your children for years and years, who can challenge them, who can lead them from beginning to end, who understands the challenges you face as a parent, the goals you have as a parent who you can communicate comfortably with and freely, my advice to you is to arrange for me to provide your children with the tutoring that they need. It might sound arrogant, but I can assure you that you won't find a better tutor if your goals are those that I've discussed in this talk. I work in tutoring because I take education very seriously. I work in tutoring because I love the studies that I teach to students and introduce students to. I work in tutoring by choice because this is where I believe I can best serve God and serve others and the stability of life that I enjoy the ability that I have to work with all different kinds of students and lead them through all different subjects provides a simplicity that over time can lead to the most achievement. But it takes a commitment from parents, both a philosophical commitment and also a financial commitment. Because let's be honest, we spend money on things that are 
important to us. And if these things are important to us, we have to accept the reality that there's a cost involved. And if we were to consider, what would that, what would it be worth for us if we could have these goals for our children realized, if they could have the education that we dream of for them, what would that be worth to us? And I think you'd agree that we can't even set a price tag on what that would be worth to us. I know I can't as a parent. And I'm sure that you can't either. And that's why you're looking into these things in the first place. As you already know, there are plenty of options available. You can write a check for any of them. But you're looking for something more. But I can offer you something far, far greater than you'll find anywhere else. You're not going to find it on our website. It's not something that I can make publicly available at a low price. As I said, I'm always working to find solutions for parents who are restricted financially to help them give their children the best education they can. But if you have the resources to go for it all, and you really want to do it the right way, and we have to work out a private tutoring arrangement between myself and your children. And once we do, you're going to see that an education is available to them that you never imagined was possible. And I'm going to wrap this talk up with that. And invite you get in touch with me if you'd like to discuss this further and get into details. I'll talk about what I've done with students in the past because I've been working privately with students for over 20 years. If you'd like to talk about the details of private tutoring and all that's possible, we need to have those discussions privately. And what I'd ask you to do is simply get in touch. Send me an email to mail classicalliberalarts.com or give me a phone call my, my personal mobile phone number is available right on Classical Liberal Arts Academy website at classicalliberalarts.com you can also chat me on the website I'm usually available online helping students you can use the chat widget to get in touch with me well, let's just start talking about what the options are and what you can provide for your children to give them the best education possible. I hope that's helpful. God bless.